You're listening to Speaking of Faith with Bishop Dee Dee Duncan Proby of the Episcopal Diocese of Central New York. I'm Rachel Ravelette, or Romcom, and we're glad you're here. Welcome, friends, to this podcast. I am so grateful to be gathering with you and with Deacon Kay Drabert today. Uh, my name is Dee Dee Duncan Proby. I'm the Diocesan Bishop of the Episcopal Church in Central New York. That's Canada to Pennsylvania, Utica to Elmira, and all the beautiful places and people in between. And I'm joined by Rachel Ravelat, who's our Communications Director. And this podcast is about speaking of faith. I think over the years, we've lost the ability to talk about our faith, especially in reference to current life and everyday situations. Now, this is a special podcast because in the Diocese of Central New York this past week, there was an incident of a DWI, a driving while intoxicated event, and it has really triggered and brought to the fore the need to have conversations around addiction and sobriety about how we live in our humanity in this time. And so I'm very grateful to have uh, Deacon Kay uh, with us. She's a bivocational deacon in the diocese. She is also a a senior licensed clinician at Shenango County uh, Behavioral Health. And uh, welcome, Kay, to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you, Um, Bishop. So can you tell us a little uh, about uh, you and how you got into uh, social work and, and, and some of what you do? Sure. So long story short, I think I always wanted to to be a therapist, but I spent a lot of my life in the corporate world. And about 10 years ago, I go, you know, this isn't even suiting me anymore. I should go back to what I always wanted to do. And I went back to school to become a, a, a clinical social worker. And in my first internship that I had, I was working with young children, very young children, um, elementary school-age children, and all of them were suffering from trauma because their parents were using substances. And it just occurred to me at that time that, you know what, I want to really work with the people at the core of the problem because all of those were such sad stories. So by my second internship, I did, I worked in an inpatient facility, and then um, really gained a lot of knowledge there and learned to love this group of people so much. People in recovery are some of the most courageous people I know. Their lives are inspiring to me. Um, I spend a lot of time advocating for them, um, trying to get them the resources they need, which still in our world are a little bit limited. So, um, I will do this work until I can't anymore. I just absolutely love it. That is wonderful. And can you tell me, or tell our listeners especially, um, when we talk about substance abuse and especially about addictive behaviors, uh, there are so many ways people kind of come into this conversation, whether it's, um, and, and so many ways we look at it, whether through the lens of a victim or someone who's dealing with their own addiction or Al-Anon, someone who's a relative, and um, 
And so this is a very multivalent topic. And I want to say to the listeners, if you find anything about this is triggering or or difficult, that I encourage you to reach out to a trusted friend to find uh, either therapy or help or support to to not go on this journey alone. These are these are difficult topics we'll be talking about. So, with that caveat, um, what are some important things, uh, Deacon K, that you think are important to remember about conversations that deal with substance abuse and addiction? I think an important thing to do is is to assure the person you're talking with or your loved ones, whatever, to do your best not to be judgmental, to accept the person where they are in that moment. Um, and just, you know, not to pressure them to make any changes, but to to listen and to hear their stories. Um, sometimes just being present for them is the first start, the first step towards their healing. Um, I like to use person-centered language too. I think it language really words really do make a difference to people. So um use um people with substance use disorders rather than an addict or an alcoholic. It's a much more positive image. So to use that kind of language is important. Um especially for them, it starts building trust with them when when they know that, and it helps them to know that you're not judging them. Um, another tip is um, to give them time just to tell their story um, and to maybe offer them help, but if they don't want it, you know, then that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, um, and I know that there's also been a conversation about whether uh, substance abuse is a disease or a moral failing. And it sounds like you've answered that, that a little bit in terms of not being judgmental. Um, but what are some things that might surprise the listeners about how to think about these issues? Yeah. Um, I mean, the history of it is that, of course, it's a moral failing. But as we've learned more, it's not. And it's it's a mental health diagnosis, and there's certain criteria that need to be met to have that official diagnosis. So drinking a beer here and there a couple times a month, even a couple times a week, isn't a substance use disorder. But if someone is doing four or five drinks every night, every day, then it most certainly is. So there's kind of clinical criteria um, that we use to determine that. Um, and then we treat that as primarily a mental health condition because I would say at least 90% of the clients we treat here also have some kind of mental health condition. And mm. that's usually at the root of why they started abusing substances to begin with. So um, that that's a big piece of it. More recently, there's a whole harm reduction movement that you may have heard of that approaches this as, well, a person who's using substances in a way that they shouldn't doesn't necessarily, to become well, have to stop all use and end everything right away because that doesn't really work because people look down the road and like, I can't envision myself never having a drink again or never smoking cannabis again. So we take the approach that, okay, Tell me what could you st start to do 
for some people it might be as simple, I'm gonna cut things down in half to start out with, start setting some reasonable goals. For other people, especially those with opioid use disorders, it might be choosing to go on medically assisted treatment, which is primarily suboxone, sublocate, things like that, that help control their cravings and help them manage their use and to um, eventually stop using. So there's a whole variety of techniques we use to help them get to this point where they really want to be, where they're not harming themselves anymore. Much mm -hmm. like we would do with someone whose mental health was suffering and we wanted to work on suicide prevention. It's very similar to that. That would you sounds say so that, hopeful. It does. Mm -hmm. And would you say it that is. for some people, this is a form of self-medicating that they're suffering with oh, depression absolutely. or something else. And so this is a way of sort of navigating. Yeah, it is. So what are, what are some of the warning signs like for, for ourselves or for those we love? I mean, you mentioned the four or five drinks a night versus, you know, three or four a week. Uh, but what are some signs in terms of, um, you know, other issues that may uh, be Sure. The biggest one is, especially if you're close to people, um, and, and this can be something that the church could be very helpful in. Someone stops coming, just dropped out. Something's going on with that person. Mm -hmm. We don't know for sure what it could is. There could be all kinds of things in life, but that's a big thing for me. When people start to isolate, there's usually something going on that's bothering them or, or maybe they've started using. Um, I recognize that in my own clients, they stop coming to my appointments and I call them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's going on? Can I help you? Because that's the tendency They're They're trying to, not let you know that they're using and there's a lot of times an element of, of shame or guilt around it mm -hmm. so they really are pretty good at trying to to hide it although in my experience if you watch them and if you know people they're not very good at doing that so they might mm -hmm. if it's someone who's still in school you're going to have grades dropping change in friendships changes in things they like to do um, mm -hmm. And maybe secretiveness. In in adults, it could be that they're missing a lot of work, uh, they're or they get fired, or they stop attending other social events with family or planned events, or they start their mood changes, their behavior changes. So they might become more argumentative or more combative even. Mm -hmm. So the big mood changes that you wouldn't normally expect of a person. Okay. For, for some types of use, there's two, um, some physical changes for say uh, a methamphetamine user, there is going to be um, a lot of loss of weight, a lot of sleeplessness, um, and a lot of sores on their arms and their faces um, that comes mm -hmm. from what the chemical is doing from their body. And I think we all know with someone who has been drinking too much, the slurred speech, the inability to not walk in a straight line, all the things that law enforcement would use, uh, those things are, are readily evident. For mm -hmm. someone who's uh, using opioids, it would be a lot of person could just, they call it nodding off. They just, kind of in conversation there. I mean, 
it's slowing their body down. Um, maybe their breathing is even slower. So those kind of physical things. And then there, there is a new, um, well, it's not technically an opioid because um, it's not a, a, a heroin-related drug, but xylazine is a new substance. It's actually a veterinary tranquilizer wow. that people are using to really improve their high, and it can cause like open wounds on a person's body and abscesses mm. because of, of what it does to the body and that it knocks a person out. They'll sleep for hours and hours and lose circulation to their body parts. So those are some of the, the physical signs. Mm -hmm. And, and um, are there uh, steps that parishes can take to be safer places for those struggling with, um, with these disorders? I think so. I, I think if, People know that the church is already hosting NA or AA. It's a good first step that people are coming in and out of there. I would say if you could get like availability of, of let people know that there's Narcan kits available at the church. So people need them. They're there. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, it's much like having a defibrillator on hand at a church to have something to help people if they need it and to maybe even do some trainings. Um, Narcan is so much more readily available now. In most communities, you can find someone who's doing a training. Mm -hmm. And then I think, so, okay. yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, listening to you, I, I'm really struck by treating this a lot, much the way we would treat heart disease or asthma mm -hmm. or something that's a that's a pre-existing condition in a way, where we're creating space where people can seek help and have and readily get help that mm -hmm. is that lacks judgment but is focused on the real issues at hand is what I'm hearing you say in different ways. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Exactly. In that? And what are some easy steps to take to prevent these these diseases, especially for disorders, um, especially like for ourselves or for those we love, um, ways in which, you know, I've already had people in the diocese say, well, we should make sure we never have serve alcohol in anything. And, um, you know, and so are there uh, ways that we can be a safe place without becoming kind of enmeshed or codependent in terms of... Um... I think so. And, and to your point, it's not realistic to say never have alcohol. I mean, because mm -hmm. there's a... I think we teach how to responsibly drink. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some guidelines. Um, and it's based on some national guidelines of what is healthy drinking. And so for women... And people over age 65, that's really no more than two drinks a day or 10 a week. And for men, that's no more than three drinks in a night or 14 a week. So to kind of use that as a platform to manage and set some goals for ourselves of how mm -hmm. we're going to manage our drinking. If we lived in Canada, their their national task force says to drink nothing. So. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> ours are a little different um but i think that's reasonable and you know i think it bears reflecting on it i mean i always reflect on it in lent and try to do with less just like i do with other things so it's a good time of the year for it mm -hmm. and i think it's 
perhaps a good thing to talk about it as we prepare for holidays, because that is always when especially alcohol consumption just goes through the roof. Um, at this think, time, at this time, are you seeing more cases of substance abuse or, or um, the, these uh, disorders? Are you seeing a reduction or does it always kind of stay the same? Is there, is there any sort of flux with um, what we're seeing in terms of does people fluctuate? Abuse? I think summer is lighter because people have a, a wide variety of things to do besides mm go for a drink or, or to do some other recreational drug use. Um, this time of the year, people tend to be more depressed and isolated. They're not going out. So the tendency to drink or use is, is much, much higher, especially after the holidays. There's like this big letdown that people feel after the holidays. And mental health is also gets a little worse during, during um, January as well. The fortunate thing is the light is starting to come back. So um, people are starting to improve. I think overall substance use just seems to be going up and up. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, I see it more in a rural basis, but I talk to my colleagues in more urban environments. They see the same thing. Um, I think we hear in, in the media, a lot of conversations around opioid use. And so we know that the risk is increasing and what's in an opioid has changed, but we don't hear a lot about the methamphetamine use, which is really prevalent in our area of the country or alcohol use, which has always been an issue in this part of country. So, and I've seen alcohol use just really keep climbing during COVID and since COVID, a lot of people who were doing just fine before that, when during all that isolation, they started to drink again. Hmm. And what is the, how would you talk about um, with cannabis use or alcohol? There's this uh, conversations. I even saw one today actually online about uh, that. It's better to smoke pot than it is to drink a beer. Um, hmm. uh, is there any sort of like comparison there? Is it just, is that kind of not a reality? It's it's hard to compare them um, because they do different things to your brain and impact different parts of your brain. Alcohol is a depressant. So that's what makes it the most dangerous and puts a person at risk. Whereas cannabis is really um, mind mind altering and can affect mm. your judgment. You can have um, a paranoia that goes with it or feel something's happening that's not real. So, I mean, it's kind of, you can't compare the two of them mm -hmm. because they're both legal used responsibly. Neither one of them is that dangerous. It's when people might decide to operate heavy equipment or drive, or they have to make an important decision that become problematic. Mm -hmm. The thing to remember about cannabis use is it's like people like to say it's not your grandfather's cannabis. It's much stronger. Edibles, when you take one, it'll hit you two hours later and you didn't expect it to be that forceful. It's much stronger. So the kind of caution if, if someone is going to use something like that, 
is to use a very small amount and kind of try it out. Mm -hmm. And um, it it used to be, speaking of grandfather's a pot, <laughs> it used to be that the conversation was if you need to have a drink, that that's a warning sign. If you mm -hmm. feel like you're stressed and it's like, oh, I need a drink because today was our day. Um, or if you can't go like a period of time, two weeks or something without having a drink, without it feeling emotionally impactful, mm -hmm. that those are really critical kind of red flags for a usage. Is that still true or has that changed a bit? That's still true because people will say, hey, I'm going to have a drink, even here, <laughs> despite <laughs> the work we do, right? Yeah. So I think, it's, I think it's in our mindsets that we need to have that rather then think of what else we could do to relax. I think mm -hmm. it's it's one of those things we have to replace drinking or using with other activities. And so maybe it's, I'm going to go home and take a walk mm -hmm. or I'm going to go to the gym on the way home. So it's kind of like more of a wellness thing. The substance mm -hmm. we put in our body, whether we feel they're natural or not in a large amount, still mm -hmm. are doing something negative to it. And so maybe we could do something more positive. Uh, or maybe, you know, if you're not into physical activity, I'm going to call my friend when I get home. I could really use a lift today. You know, mm -hmm. the bright spot about that is maybe they could too. So all kinds of different things we could place with those kinds of activities. Well, I really hear you talking a lot about the power of community in this. And then mm -hmm. uh, with whether it's the person who's who's has a disorder or using, uh, especially uh, in terms of the of mental illness uh, with depression or the isolation. And of course, we have a chronic right now, the, the loneliness, uh, the reports mm -hmm. about how lonely people are is just very high. And, um, and, and this, you know, and across uh, demographics, children, teenagers, elderly, that there's this real sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. um, and our diocesan ministry is a world healed by love. And our mission statement is learning to love God, one another, and all God's creation. And this seems to me like a place where our diocesan mission and ministry, this is at the core of it, is how we are community together and support one another. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some ways that you, or what are some sort of final thoughts you might have about how we all could be more effective in community together? Um, well, I think we talk about it. It's much like, I think we're a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about people's substance use, no matter what mm -hmm. it is. So I think we need to be in that conversation. If we're teaching our young people about the scripture and about, you know, what the Episcopal Church is all about, we also teach them how to live healthy lives. And this would be a piece of it. And I think if we're talking about to living healthy, balanced lives, then leadership in the church balances that as well. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, and that's why I said wellness before. I think it's this approach to living balanced lives and learning how to manage our stress. Because I think almost everybody I know talks to me about stress and being overstressed. And I think that's an important thing to talk about and how to manage that. Um, it's much like if there, if there were people in our congregations that we've concerned about their mental health, we would try to direct family and friends to help them get treatment, maybe talk to their primary care provider, which is always a great place to start with this, to get the right referrals. 
but to talk about that because not talking about it makes the problem worse. Um, to recognize that this is a reality for a lot of people that we see on a weekly basis. These are issues that seem somewhat hidden, but people don't need to no longer feel embarrassed or guilty about it. They just need someone who can listen to them and help them direct them to the resources that could be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I was just going to say, I really appreciate in this conversation, uh, the move away from all or nothing thinking. Um, I think that you've brought so much help, hope to this space by talking about small things that we can do to move in a more healthy direction um, and not the, I think it's a holdover from seeing addiction as, as a moral feeling, right? This, yep. you can't, can't ever think about it. Um, I really appreciate the way you've encouraged us to make health oriented decisions rather than bands. I think that's so much more invitational, so much more hopeful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and and there is so much hope in it. I mean, this is totally treatable, you know, mm-hmm. And if, but for people who are in recovery to feel that they're supported and is, is just an amazing thing. It, it will help them maintain that, give them encouragement when they feel like oh, I'm going to go back to what I used to do. It's just so important for people in recovery to know there's many, many people surrounding them and and are willing to help them with their journey. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Deacon Kay, it's so, I really appreciate having this conversation with you today. And I think there's been a lot of helpful information in this podcast for people listening. And to the people listening, I want to reiterate that if uh, this is triggering for you, or if this is thought provoking to see your care provider or to speak with a a trusted counselor or someone who uh, listens and will be supportive and to know that God loves you and that God is calling all of us to wholeness and health, that we are created to live full lives. And so my prayer for all of us is that we will make those positive decisions that lead to well-being for ourselves and those around us and in our communities and our wider world. And so this day, know that you are loved and may you be blessed in this journey of health and healing. And I look forward to speaking with you next uh, on the next podcast. God be with you. Thanks for joining us. Speaking of Faith with Bishop Dee Dee is a production of the Episcopal Diocese of Central New York. Our theme music is by Fleece Mob and it's called A Bird in Hand. We use it with permission. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcasting app so that you can be the first to know when new episodes are available. If you like what you've heard here, please leave us a rating and review. If you don't like what you've heard here, we're sure you're still a wonderful person, but maybe don't leave us a review. Just kidding. We love honest feedback and questions. You can connect with us online between episodes at cnyepiscopal.org backslash podcast and on social media at CNY Episcopal. Blessings to you, friends.